The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Tableau Software and Dole Food Company. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to make sure I extend a warm welcome to members of our armed forces who are tuning in over the Internet, and also new listeners joining us on new radio affiliates in Maryland, Illinois, California, Texas, and Alabama. Thank you for being with us today. In just a moment... Outspoken seven-term United States representative from Iowa, Steve King, will be joining us to talk about his plans for thwarting ISIS and illegal immigration, and also explain why he voted against funding Homeland Security, which on the surface might not sound like such a good idea, but, but suspend your judgment for a moment until you hear the full story, because if you know anything about Mr. King... Well, let's just say he, he's not shy about calling it the way he sees it. And whether you agree with him or not, you have to respect that kind of honesty. But before Mr. King joins us, as is my custom every week, let me tell you a little about his background. Stephen Arnold King was born in Storm Lake, Iowa. His mother was a homemaker and his father worked in law enforcement. King attended Northwest Missouri State University, where he majored in mathematics. But before he graduated, he found a job in construction, and it wasn't long before he founded King Construction. King has been a small business owner for over 28 years. In 1996, Mr. King ran for and won a seat in the Iowa State Senate, where he was easily reelected to a second term. In the State Senate, he was credited with eliminating the inheritance tax, passing into law workplace drug testing, and a variety of tax cuts, and also for making English the official language in Iowa. In 2002, King threw his hat in the ring for the U.S. House of Representatives. And he has been reelected and served seven terms in Congress despite the challenges redistricting in his area presented. King is a fiscal and social conservative, and he has been made no bones about his intentions to, quote, move the political center of gravity in Congress to the right. And in a moment, we'll find out if his plan is working. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, United States Congressman from Iowa, Mr. Steve King. Welcome to the program, Mr. King. Mr. King? Here we go. Okay, now I'm connected. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me on, Rebecca. I had the mute button push for a little while. Now I'm tuned in completely. There we go. Well, I'm glad to hear your voice today. How are you doing? Oh, just fine. And, and I do. I appreciate the chance to be on today, and I appreciate the introduction. I brought back some memories as I listened to that. <laughs> well, you have quite a track record, and uh, I think I thought it was appropriate to showcase that. Now, we've got a mix of listeners today, some very liberal, some conservative, and uh, quite a number of independents. So I, I like to focus on solutions on this program. So along those lines, I thought maybe we could open today's program with your five-point strategy for defeating ISIS. Maybe we could start with one of the more controversial suggestions you make, that the government uh, should conduct surveillance surveillance in and around mosques here at home and abroad. Is that right? Well, yes. And uh, I'm talking about uh, just monitoring the public events that take place, uh, just as if the government came in and knelt down next to me at my Catholic church and listened to the homily from our priest. Uh, That's one of the things that we just simply makes common sense to be doing when we know that in some of these mosques they are are recruiting, uh, recruiting radical Islamists and brainwashing some of them, and there are, some of them are going overseas to volunteer to fight with and for ISIS, and some of them are coming back plotting against the United States. So it, it's just simply a common-sense thing. I'm not talking about sending spies into the back room. I'm talking about monitoring the public, the public uh, uh, discussion that takes place in the mosques. 
But with so much discussion these days about the right to privacy, uh, you've got to be getting a lot of blowback about the idea of monitoring religious uh, worship and service. Well, you know, we are we are a society that has a protection for religious freedom, freedom of speech, religion, press, and freedom to assemble. And so I'm not suggesting that we should limit that in any way, but I'm suggesting that we should monitor the public events. And I don't think there's ever been a time that we said that we would not do so, or there's ever been a public policy against monitoring public events. Right now, it is this that I see people out here in this society and generally they come from the left, which it's hard to describe radical Islam as being from the left, but they are making common cause with them. And uh, they continue to argue for certain civil liberties that didn't exist in previous generations and seem to be the sole purpose of which uh, is to um, protect the agenda of people that, in this case, people that are working against the best interests of everybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, uh, secondly, one of your uh, other suggestions was you've called for ISIS recruiters to be shut down on the Internet, uh, which would include having access to social media and other venues where there is increasing evidence that they recruit and they also coordinate global activities. So I guess that would involve the cooperation of private companies like Facebook and Google and telecommunications companies that... Uh, they don't seem that eager to cooperate with intelligence, given the backlash they've received from turning over user information in the past. Well, that's true. They received a significant amount of backlash. And I sit on the Judiciary Committee, and uh, we have dealt with this. And I've actually uh, been up into the uh, into the secure room on multiple occasions and read through all of the material that's available on the, on the Edward Snowden's uh, breach of our national security. And if anyone would read through all that, they might come with a different opinion on what we should be doing. Um, from, from my standpoint, I think I should also warn you this, Rebecca, I may be coming to a place where I could possibly lose my cell phone signal. So if that's the case, I hope you can carry it until I can dial you back. Well, I'll do my best. It, it, I, I, I don't know that I can carry it, but, uh, but we'll, try to, we'll try to keep the airwaves moving along here. Um, uh, but I appreciate that warning, and I appreciate the call back. Um, so so when you, you say when you go over the, the information that Edward Snowden was concerned about, you're not as concerned when you see the actual data being collected. Is that correct? Well, that's right. I mean, the data that the, the data that was that was gathered was metadata that was not as far as far as I can determine, not ever used to uh, to target any individual citizen or lawfully present person in the United States. Uh, that that requires a warrant to do that. That was a collection of data so that they could get a warrant and and go and go and drill into that information. But you know, I don't really want to be in a position to necessarily defend that because I think they did, uh, or I think the federal government did go beyond the intent of the Patriot Act. But uh, the, the cyber warfare piece that I suggest is this, that globally we have radical Islam, that the Islamists are using the Internet to, to recruit and to coordinate and to gather together their, their uh, attacks that are going against everybody except them. And uh, I sat down with President al-Sisi of Egypt sometime about three weeks ago, and he said then that, that they're using the Internet worldwide. And now he said the fields of jihad are global, and the fields of jihad, I believe, is lifted out of their Koran. And so what, if, we're going to, if we're going to defeat this enemy, this enemy that attacks and kills us for the sake of their beliefs and ours, we need comprehensive approach, and by the way, uh, President El-Sisi used that very word, comprehensive approach, it's one I've been using for months as well, and then that means address this thing through cyber. Hello, Mr. King? Well, I think we did lose Sam. You know what? Uh, He warned us that we might lose his cell phone connection, and uh, he couldn't have timed it any better because I think we're getting ready to go to a break here in just one minute. Yeah, you know, we're real close to a break. Well, what I do want to say is that uh, Mr. King has come up with a five-point system. Uh, The first two 
uh, points that he makes for uh, quashing ISIS would be number one to monitor activities in and around the mosques, which tend to be areas where the terrorists are congregating. And the second uh, suggestion that he's made is to um, survey them and uh, surveil them and also uh, to shut them down on the Internet, which, by the way, is something that I don't think anyone would uh, disagree with. But it's a lot easier than it sounds, and we're going to find out more about that in our technology segment in the second hour. Along those lines, we're going to take our first scheduled break, but stay right where you are when we return. We'll find out about the other three suggestions King makes for stopping ISIS. You're listening to the Costa Report. Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations, that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and -and drag-and-drop drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? Hi, this is Erica Fisher. I'm a certified personal trainer at the world-famous Chaminade Resort right here in Santa Cruz. I've got some good news for you. Right now, I will award to the first five people who call me a free introductory personal training session at the ultra-luxurious state-of-the-art fitness center right here at the Chaminade in Santa Cruz. This personal training session will include a personal assessment, setting goals, and an introduction to using the equipment customized to meet your special situation. So call me right now at 831-588-7090. And if you're lucky enough to be one of the first five callers, I will be seeing you at the Chaminade Fitness Center for a one-on-one free appointment. 831-588-7098. Call now. 831-588-7098. EricaFitness.com. Our new Ford Fusion Energy Plug-In Hybrid will give you the best of both worlds. And you can drive one home today from North Bay Ford. Hello, I'm Jeff Winterhalder. Here at North Bay Ford in Santa Cruz, best of both worlds, you ask? First, our new Fusion Energy Plug-In Hybrid has a stylish body that will turn heads when you drive down the street. Who doesn't want to turn heads when you drive down the street, right? Next, our Fusion Energy Plug-In Hybrid has a progressive hybrid drivetrain that gives you an EPA-estimated 21 miles on electricity only. Then you can switch to hybrid mode and drive all the way to L.A. without filling up. Yes, our Fusion Energy Plug-In Hybrid really will give you the best of both worlds. But don't take my word for it. Come on down to North Bay Ford at 1999 SoCal Avenue in Santa Cruz and test drive a new Fusion Energy Plug-In Hybrid or log on at NorthBayFord.com.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is United States Representative from Iowa, Mr. Steve King. And before the break, you were describing two of the five initiatives you proposed for thwarting ISIS, and the first was to conduct surveillance in and around mosques, and the second was to shut down ISIS recruiting efforts on the Internet. And I I believe that's where we lost your connection. So do you want to elaborate on that final point? Well, I would a little bit, and thank you, Rebecca. That the um, like I call I'll call it cyber warfare, both defensive and offensive. I mean, they're uh, they're trying to slip viruses into our software and into our internet, and uh, we need to send it back the other way. When they're using the internet to recruit ISIS terrorists, we should figure out ways to shut that shut that down, and ways to close down their accounts, and and ways to and if we can't get that can't that get that done in some cases, so. Uh, misinformation pumped in there because this is this is a global war we're being attacked by radical islam and it's asymmetrical it's not we, we've had these wars go on for centuries but they have been kinetic wars that were met on the battlefield and i'd like to avoid that but because we have a global uh, global approach they're using our technology and our constitution against us and i'm not suggesting we violate the constitution but i am suggesting that we commit technological warfare back against them. That would be step two. So um, that, that's how I would elaborate on this. And, um, you know, outside the United States, it's easier than it is inside the United States. But if we have legal barriers, then we should look at those legal barriers and see if Congress needs to address them. Well, this is where, uh, you know, my brain goes a little crazy because it's very linear and very logical. And so I don't understand how you can act preemptively without information. And I don't know how you get information without surveillance. Well, that's a, that's a linear thought process. <laughs> how can you preempt anything if you have no data on which to preempt? Well, we have our uh, public, public sources, uh, public information out there. The, the Facebook and the Twitter accounts, and that is public. Right. And so that tells us where to look. And we need, and we do have our people that are watching a fair amount of that. I, I think we need to beef that up. Mm-hmm. I'm suggesting we go at the public resources first, and those that are being used to coordinate and recruit, mm-hmm. and to the extent that they train, figure out how to shut them down. Mm-hmm. And that's that's step one. And as as we get into this, we'll get more sophisticated. We'll narrow it down, and then we'll be able to uh, hopefully identify the next area and the next area. And as that emerges, I think we will perhaps see some places where we have to address it legislatively. But in the meantime, there's plenty to do on the public access type of uh, cyberspace that's out there. Very good point. Yeah, we don't we don't need to go into people's private business until we've fully mined the public information that's there. Um, so let's move on to the, uh, some of the other recommendations you make for stopping ISIS. I believe you feel it's important to solicit the cooperation of foreign banks in cutting off all this funding for ISIS. I mean, they, they can't possibly be sustaining this very expensive terrorist effort. I mean, look what it's costing us to defend against the terrorist effort. They can't be doing this without the cooperation of banks. So where, are, where do we stand on that? Well, the, the, the banks, the, the oil that's being sold out of places like a, like a northern Iraq right now, um, that's, that's also a source of, uh, of funding. There, there's reports out there that, that I believe are credible, that they're actually selling human organs and uh, on the black market. Any place that money is sourced from, coming from, any place that's being transferred through, we should zero right in on that and shut off the sources of the resources, and we should shut off the transfer of the financial resources to, uh, to just shut off their bank accounts and shut off their revenue stream in every way that we can. And uh, I don't think we're being nearly aggressive enough on that. If we find out that there's a, a U.S. bank, a European bank, a global bank, whether whatever it might be, um, that's that's the place for uh, federal officials to show up and say this money is going to ISIS. You need to stop this, or we are going to bring ways that we can uh, to start shutting down that source of And once we had, if we identify international banks that refuse to cooperate, uh, at that point we take a look at their governing organizations and see what we can do. Where's our foreign aid going? Uh, this executive branch of government has all kinds of tools. And I'm not, uh, I'm not aware that we are, we've gone even close to using the, the repertoire of tools that we have to shut off the resources to not only to ISIS, but to radical Islam all over the world. Mm-hmm. 
And then lastly, you've also uh, suggested that the U.S. work more closely with moderate Muslim nations. Uh, but but I, I get the impression we're already doing that. Well, I, I would I would I say I, I don't have that impression. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some of the reasons are because I, I do travel into the Middle East on a semi-regular basis and yes. sit down with the leaders of those countries. And, you know, it's uh, I've personally met with uh, a number of the leaders. And if I would just, I guess I, I'll leave somebody out if I start naming them. But among them, I mentioned uh, now President LCC of Egypt, uh, the Crown Prince of the United Arab Emirates, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, others in addition to that. And I uh, say the, the entities out there, the, the nation states out there that are the moderate Muslim countries that, that are inclined to align with us now would be Egypt, the UAE, and Jordan. Uh, yes. And I, I met with the foreign minister, minister multiple times and been up into the Kurdish region. We need to empower them. And they're kind of a separate entity from the moderate Muslim nations. But, but I would empower the Kurds with all the kinetic equipment that they could use. And, uh, you know, our people... Uh, some of our advisors on the ground to help uh, with the airstrikes that are necessary and to coordinate uh, with the with the Kurds. Those those groups, those entities, those nation states that are there, and then add the Kurds as a non-nation state uh, are, I think, the, the allies that we need to cultivate and strengthen and support. And in the case of the Egyptians and the UAE, they've been pushed away from us rather than embraced. And uh, I'm watching the administration just yesterday or the day before. Finally, opened up some of the um, some of the military equipment to Egypt that had been promised to them for some time, yes. and that's that needed to happen a long time ago. And we're still waiting for some parts for Apache helicopters that they say they aren't manufactured yet. I believe that. Do you, do you believe the administration was waiting for things to stabilize a little bit in some of these countries before releasing those weapons? I think the administration was on the wrong side of the Arab Spring mm. in, in every case. And uh, the Muslim Brotherhood came out on top in the Arab Spring in every case but one. Uh, the Case in point, President Obama's speech June 4th, 2009 at Al-Azhar University in Cairo. Mm-hmm. And there he seated the Muslim Brotherhood in the front row, some say the front two rows. And that, and they supported, they, then, then Hillary Clinton came out uh, months later and said, that Mubarak needs to be gone yesterday. I believe she repeated that word yesterday. Uh, and so the, the U.S. policy pushed, helped, not solely reason for it, but helped push Mubarak out. Uh, and then Morsi came in as the head of the Muslim Brotherhood. He was duly elected. The Egyptian people were convinced that it was the last election they were going to see in, within the lifetime of Morsi anyway. And uh, they saw him implementing Sharia law. They saw the economy essentially collapse in Egypt, and it was completely mismanaged. Uh, all of those factors came, came together, and out of 83 million Egyptians, roughly 33 million of them came to the streets in the mid, mid-summer of 2013 and uh, pleaded for the military to give them their country back. Yes. Uh, that, was, that was General El-Sisi, and now they have a duly elected government in Egypt. Yes, they do. Um, and uh, and I, I take your point seriously that we were on the wrong side of the Arab Spring, um, but perhaps we can recover from that. Now, we're going to have to take another commercial break. When we come back, we're going to find out why Congressman King voted against funding Homeland Security. It's a very important story to be told. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Costa Report. Have you checked out the Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. And also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog. Bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't. If you're an artist or want to learn to paint, 
This message is for you. This coming April, there'll be a worldwide gathering of artists to learn art, paint together outdoors, and experience the largest gathering of artists in the world. And lucky you, it's nearby. Artists are flying in from across the world to be at this giant event for artists. And you lucky dog, you're local. And you don't have to pay for airfare, rental cars, and hotel rooms. If you love to paint beautiful landscapes or want to learn from the world's top art instructors, join us at Monterey Convention Center this April. Look into this event for artists now. It's called the Plain Air Convention. Plain Air is a French term for painting outside, like Monet. There are classes for people who have never before painted and classes for experienced painters. Learn from the very best in the world. Want to learn more? Go to paintersconvention.com. Yes, paintersconvention.com. That's paintersconvention.com. Does your business do shipping and receiving? Or maybe you're packing up to move across town. Coast Paper and Supply meets all your needs at affordable prices. We have boxes of all shapes and sizes, as well as a variety of packing tape and tape guns. For your fragile items, we carry bubble wrap, shipping peanuts, and astrofoam. Shipping in bulk, we carry pallets and pallet wrap. You can find Coast Paper and Supply at 151 Josephine Street or at CoastPaperSupplyInc.com. You can also call us at 831-423-3350. If you are behind on your bills, then this message is for you. How would you like to have a large portion of your credit card debt or medical bills forgiven? National Credit Card Relief would like to give you free information on a proven debt forgiveness program. It's not bankruptcy. It's not consolidation. This special program actually wipes clean the portion of your debt that is forgiven. Call for your free forgiveness information now. 800-719-2090. That's 800-719-2090. Don't wait. Call 800-719-2090. Do you have a plan for your money? Does your money come and go like the tides? Do you just leave your finances to fate? Cash is always flowing, money is always moving, and if you don't manage it, it will move away from you. So many people actually spend more time planning their next trip to the dentist than they do something even more important like their retirement. You know what they say, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Don't leave your financial future to fate. Take charge. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080. Money Moves is dedicated to providing you tips and tools so you can manage your own money effectively. No one cares about your money more than you do. Therefore, you need the skills to manage your money. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa. And if you're just joining us, our guest today is Congressman Steve King. So, so uh, Congressman, let's bring the conversation uh, back to our, our homeland. Uh, would you mind explaining why the funding of homeland security is tied to immigration amnesty? Because I have to tell you, that one has a lot of folks confused. Well, yes, it's a little bit complex. It is. It's very complex. <laughs> and it wasn't my plan either. But uh, here's what happened was, I'll take you back to March of 2011, and the President Obama issued one of his uh, early executive amnesty edicts. Um, uh, they had the Morton memos through that period of time and the DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And so the President of the United States decided that he was also the legislative branch of the United States, not just the executive branch. And he issued the... Um, the executive, it wasn't all executive order. They were actually memos that were issued by um, John Morton, who was uh, at that time uh, was the head of ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement. But in any case, they, they laid out, the, they created these groups of people, actually four groups of people, that would be exempt from immigration law. Well, Congress passes the laws. The president's obligation is to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And, by the way, he takes an oath to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he suspended the enforcement of the immigration laws, and I brought I brought several amendments that shut off the funding to those um, branches to, to to those very purposes. It said specifically that president can't use any resources to carry out uh, these orders. They didn't get through the Senate. Harry Reid blocked them in the Senate, and we found our we ended up with a 
a majority, let's see, we ended up with a majority in the Senate elected in November of last year. And we got, and, and, and then the president who had been threatening to expand these executive edicts, I shall call them, mm-hmm. and on November 20th of last year, expanded then on them and to turn to groups of roughly 5 million people or more who would be exempt from immigration law. The president has no constitutional authority to suspend immigration law aside from on an individual basis only under under the doctrine called prosecutorial discretion. All right, so that's a whole lot of legal gibberish, and it comes down to this. The president grants mass amnesty to millions of people. He does so unconstitutionally. I said then we should shut off all funding until such time as we get the president to lift those orders. What we would do is we would fund... We would fund all of government, but shut off all funding to the president's lawless, unconstitutional orders. And uh, I wasn't able to convince my colleagues of that. The Speaker of the House decided that we would just simply shut off funding within the Department of Homeland Security. I didn't think that could work because the president doesn't care about the operations of the Department of Homeland Security. That's Border Patrol, Custom Border Protection, ICE and some others. And so we ended up, with that being the leverage point, they, our leadership chose a leverage point that wasn't leverage. And I'm not going to vote to fund the president's lawless unconstitutional actions. And I said, I will stick with this thing to the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that was the impasse that we reached. And that's why it reached such a crescendo in be late February, if I recall, February 27th. Right. So you wanted, what you wanted was the Congress to take a hard line that that immigration amnesty uh, passed by the president is not legal, and you wanted to take a hard line by saying, well, we're not going to fund those programs. That's it. That's, that's actually... That, that, that's yeah. it. And, and by saying not funding those programs, that also included Homeland Security and a lot of other pro- uh, programs. Well, what it amounted to is we're happy to fund, we were happy to fund all of Homeland Security, but not the president's lawlessness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the president insisted that he would veto that legislation until he got his way. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, uh, that's when I believe that our speaker believed the president. And we, we had actually passed that legislation out of the House that, that I agreed with. And the Senate then wouldn't take it up because it was a threatened presidential veto. And, and so when it comes down to this, the president violated his oath of office. Every member of the House and, and Senate provides an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Um, many of them did not see it the way I did, that my obligation then is I can't be funding lawless unconstitutional acts on the part of the president or anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and regardless uh, of who the president is, I, I, I think, you know, you're a constitutionalist, regardless of if it was a Republican, Democrat president, if they overreach, uh, it has to be stopped uh, by the Congress, right. because that's the first line of defense for the American people. Now, you've had a very firm... Yeah, you've been a very you've had a very firm uh, track record of opposing amnesty for illegal aliens, um, and and you don't necessarily buy the fact that our economy relies on immigrants, uh, illegal immigrants, to function. Um, and you've had some very specific measures you'd like to see taken to discourage employers from hiring them. Is that right? Yes, I have. In fact, I have uh, I have a legislation that I named the New Idea Act. Well. That, you know, nothing's new under the sun, but I actually thought this was a new idea. And so I named it that. But IDEA, the acronym IDEA, stands for the Illegal Deduction Elimination Act. It brings, uh, it clarifies that wages and benefits paid to illegals are not tax deductible for federal income tax purposes. And so it puts together, to work together, the IRS, the Social Security Administration, and, and the Department of Homeland Security, so that if you're an employer, and you run your employees through E-Verify, the Internet database that can verify that that information identifies a legal someone who can legally work in America. If you use E-Verify, you have safe harbor under my bill. And then if the IRS comes in under a normal audit, audit not an accelerated audit, then, you, then, then they would run the employees through E-Verify. If it kicked them out and said we can't verify they can work legally in America, the IRS could deny that as a business expense. So let's just say you may, you paid um, um, $100,000 into in wages to someone, to people who are unlawfully working in America. 
the IRS could say, sorry, that's not a business expense on your Schedule C. That shows up then that it's net income, and you would pay tax on that. The, the tax, the interest, and the penalty would turn your $10 an hour illegal into about a $16 an hour illegal. It makes it a business decision for everybody in America to use E-Verify to uh, avoid that potential tax liability and clean up their workforce. So there's a, there's a built-in automatic tax disincentive that happens yeah. anytime you hire someone that hasn't been verified as a legal citizen. Exactly. It's, and it's automatic. It's already set up, uh, and it can be used immediately. So it sounds to me like uh, it's, it's an excellent idea. It, you, you, you can make a choice to hire someone like that. You're just going to eat into your profits more. Yes, and it, we, we, uh, it accumulates a six-year statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. And so imagine if you're an employer that you only have one or two employees that you wonder about, well, you can clean up their workforce uh, depending on the percentage of your employee base, that is, fairly easily. Now, if you had a high percentage of illegals there, you might decide that you can't operate by going cold turkey right away. So you might start to ratchet yourself forward and clean up your workforce somewhat gradually over a period of, you know, two or three sure, or you'd, you'd make Sure, you'd make the business decision that works best for you. Uh, and and depending also on labor availability out, out here in California uh, during picking season, you have an incredible shortage of labor uh, because all the crops are due at the exact same time. So you've got all the farmers fighting over, uh, you know, the same pool of labor. So I would imagine mm-hmm. during those periods of time, maybe people wouldn't care about the tax disincentive. And if they didn't care about it, you could make it larger, right? You, 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 well, you just you just make the tax disincentive a, a bigger disincentive. What it amounts to is, is there'd be a there'd be a six year statute of limitations on it. Once it's once that expense would be denied for an individual employee, then that would be true for the if they'd worked for you for six years in a row, it'd be true for six years. But we don't change the ratio. Uh, it's that part is fixed. I see. So, uh, okay. and, yeah, and and out here, I mean, I'm going through Iowa farmland now. We just came from Iowa State University where we're talking about uh, operator operatorless tractors. Yes, yes. Well, uh, you know, technology is going to save all of us. It it just hasn't happened fast enough (laughs) to take care of the labor problem. But, but, uh, you know, I'm so close here to Silicon Valley. I'm not, I'm, I'm prohibited from saying anything against technology. (laughs) I love technology. You know, we we can solve this, but we need a tighter labor supply, Rebecca, so the wages and benefits go up and we can then start to cut down the welfare benefits. Absolutely. Now we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Congressman Steve King. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and and drag-and-drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau dot com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, and I have a question for you, Scott. What goes into making Method Champenois Bubble? You know, it's a process that's really defined by the French government that we've taken and enacted into our wines, which really drive the quality of our sparkling project. So this is a process that the French government defines pretty specifically, and you remain faithful to that. Yeah, 100%, and in some places we push it a little bit. Now, how do the bubbles translate on the palate? You know, it really gives you that vehicle, that mousse for the character of the sparkling wine, carrying the fruit and the complexity. It's the expression of the wine. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I. Cellars, come taste the difference. 
Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. The gallbladder is a little biological bag designed to hold bile in preparation for digestion of fats, and it's a favorite target for surgical removal. Over half a million of them are yanked out of patients' abdomens every year. Although doctors will tell you that you can live just fine without the bag of bile, as it turns out, nothing could be further from the truth. Bile is the key player in the processing of dietary fats, and while it's true that some of the fat-dissolving biochemical detergent can be squirted onto food directly from the liver, without a gallbladder, it's going to be much more difficult for the digestive system processing and absorption of numerous nutrients, including fats and essential fatty acids, vitamins, and thousands of plant chemicals that play a key role in health, healing, and anti-aging. In fact, without this little sack of tissue, you're going to run higher risks for pretty much any health condition you can name. Digestive issues, including gastritis and chronic diarrhea, are particularly likely and not surprising possible side effect. So are skin issues like psoriasis and eczema, and you may have to deal with hyperpigmentation and accelerated aging, too. Even cancer is on the short list for post-gallbladder removal misery. Best way to prevent gallbladder problems is to eliminate problem foods and improve digestion. Food intolerances are typically associated with gallstone formation. Using a good probiotic and eating fermented foods can be helpful. Consider lecithin and bile salts after fatty meals. And because gallbladder issues can impair the absorption of fatty nutrients, you're going to want to make sure you're supplementing with essential fatty acids, fatty vitamins, and minerals. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is Steve King. So, Mr. King, let me let me ask you something. After Vietnam and uh, also World War II, the U.S. set up these massive processing centers to make it easy for immigrants to come into the country legally and to become U.S. citizens. Um, I'm a big believer in the path of least resistance. I think people always look for the path of least resistance. Is there an argument to be made here that if we made it easier for people to become a legal citizen, there would be less incentive to become an illegal immigrant? I, I don't think so at all, Rebecca. Uh, it just this we we bring into this country and legalize about 1.2 million a year. Mm-hmm. We're by far the most generous nation in the world. I think the highest numbers to come in or that I've seen in the charts over the last 20 years to another country was 600,000 in a single year uh, into Germany, which uh, that was a one-time thing, is, as I recall. Yes. And uh, so it's this, that uh, what should the population of the United States be in 20 years, 50 years, 100 years? And if it's an immigration immigrant population, where should they come from? And what should the quality of those immigrants be? And those discussions really aren't taking place in Congress, and they aren't taking place in the public sphere. People are afraid to ask those questions because they're politically incorrect, and they come under immediate attack from the PC left. Uh, so I'd say this. First, cap the legal immigration at the levels that we have. Then shut off the illegal immigration, and then begin to upgrade the legal immigration that's coming in so that People are that the people that we're bringing in are are under the control of American policy rather than the policy of the people that are coming into America. And right now, if you measure the standards of those who are coming into the country legally, only between seven and eleven percent of the legal immigrants are based upon anything that has to do with the standard. And the balance of that actually is is controlled by uh, the the family reunification and the um, the asylum and the refugee status. I suggest instead, let's start to crank this around the other way, maybe even all the way to the opposite, so that we're bringing in people who are educated, who are young enough to contribute to our economy for a long period of time, uh, those, those who uh, have some language skills that can assimilate into the society here of the, of the United States. There are um, Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, all either have or are developing immigration policies where they score their legal immigrants according to their ability to contribute to their country. So let's build an immigration policy that's designed to enhance the economic, the social, and the cultural well-being of the United States of America 
and I'm happy to go that route. That means that Silicon Valley would be happy with me uh, because <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to bring... Well, You're going to bring engineers and PhDs into the country. Let them pay taxes like <laughs> I do. I, I want them here, and I want to get some of those 93 million Americans who are of working age that are not in the workforce into the workforce and off the welfare rolls uh, so that there are more people pulling in the harness and a few of them out there on what was the safety net, which is now the hammock. Well, now, one of the th- suggestions that you've made is building a giant wall uh, but I, you know, I, I kind of cringe at this, to be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm feeling like we're moving back to medieval times when we're relying on moats and walls. Don't we have better technology than that drone technology or something else that would help us along the borders? Well, we can use some of the drone technology and we can use some of the uh, some of the balloon surveillance technology that we've been using over in Afghanistan. Uh, I would agree with that. But the problem we have is we have to have the will to enforce the law and secure the border. And this administration, President Obama, has not only ordered his Border Patrol and his ICE agents not to enforce the law, he's threatened to punish them if they do. And so my argument is on a wall, I build a fence, a wall and a fence, so we had two no-man's lands that we could that we could enforce. Mm-hmm. But I don't suggest we build 2,000 miles. I just say build it till they stop going around the end. And remember, this is built not to keep people in, but to keep people out. And here's the closer on this, that fences and walls do not have prosecutorial discretion. They work whether the president orders uh, ICE to enforce the law or not. And even if they do climb the wall, at least we get the best physical specimens. <laughs> so you, you see, you see, you see it as a, a uh, possible criteria. If you can scale the wall, at least we know you're in good health. You won't be riding on the back of the public health system. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Now tell us about this birthright citizenship act you've introduced. Well, the birthright citizenship recognizes something that is, it's, a, it's a foolish policy, and I don't know of another country that has this policy, uh, and it's this, that, uh, that the automatic citizenship that, that comes to those babies that are born on U.S. soil, that's a, that, that, is by, that, that is a policy that has evolved from looking at the 14th Amendment that says all persons born in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are American citizens. That was not the intent of the 14th Amendment, but it's what has evolved into it. Today, we have between 340,000 and 750,000 new Americans every year that are born to where both parents are illegal. And so we reward lawbreaking with citizenship, which is the path to citizenship to the family members as soon as that child turns 18 and can begin to apply, or, by the way, uh, President Obama's DAPA policy, which grants a path to citizenship for those who are parents of American citizens. That kind of reward guarantees that we'll have much more law-breaking. It cheapens citizenship. Citizenship should be precious, and it should be something that's earned and achieved, not something that's just, that, that is a reward for breaking the law. So I, uh, under, my, under my Birthright Citizenship Act, I, I, stop, I, I stop this practice, and that means that if if you have a parent that is a, a citizen or a green card holder, then you are an, then, then you're born to a parent that's that's legal. Then you are an American citizen. If you're born to both parents who are who are illegal, you're not an American citizen, and that shuts down some of that incentive, Rebecca. Well, I I believe that's probably going to uh, require a debate on the Fourteenth Amendment. Yes, you're exactly right, and uh, the only way we get that debate on the Fourteenth Amendment is to move my bill. <laughs> That's right. We have to put your bill before everyone to, in order to have that discussion. Uh, but yeah, but there's a there's a growing evidence. What we say about it. I mean, to what you to your point, there is growing evidence that uh, um, uh, immigrants are uh, coming into the country pregnant with the idea that they would birth their child here and then later fall under the Unification uh, Act where families are allowed to join their children or children are allowed to join their parents in the United States and um, and uh, and they are made citizens. So um, I, I can see where your point is. I think that would be a healthy discussion, but I, I, I have to tell you, I wish you luck on that because uh, anything like this that's loaded, 
uh, we tend to kick that can down the road uh, and then kick it again and again and again. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't, from my standpoint, don't have a lot of optimism that we're going to get into that 14th Amendment. But I could be wrong. Now, before we run out of time, is there a place where listeners can go to uh, get additional information on this and other uh, programs that you suggest? Do you have a website? Yeah, I do. And uh, the easiest way is uh, just to Google SteveKing.com. SteveKing.com. That's that's not the author that writes horror books. That's Steve King, Congressman Steve King. Uh, yes, K-I-N-G. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm sure you get asked to autograph a lot of uh, books uh, along the way. Um, that Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have today. But before we let you go, I do want to take a moment to thank you for your service to our nation. Thank you, Mr. King. Thank you very much, Rebecca. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the privilege to serve, and I appreciate the chance to have a conversation with you today. Well, please come back. I will do that. I will look forward to it. Thank you very much. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Steve King, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And if you missed the full interview with Mr. King or with any of our other previous guests, you can download episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel, and also the Voice America Business Channel. And if you learned something that maybe you didn't know before our conversation, with Mr. King today, or maybe you didn't quite look at it that way before, uh, there's an easy way you can keep independent journalism like the Costa Report alive in the United States, and it will not cost you a red cent. The next time you're getting ready to order a book, a CD, an appliance, or, or even a gift from Amazon, just take one short detour over to our website at RebeccaCosta.com first. By clicking on any book on our bookstore page, it'll take you right over to the Amazon main webpage, and and you can make your purchases that you're planning to make anyways. And every time you go through the bookstore to buy something at Amazon, Amazon contributes a small percentage of your purchases to the Costa Report. Next week, my guest is former Secretary of Energy under Clinton and Governor of New Mexico, Bill Richardson, who has the distinction of being one of our nation's most successful negotiators with terrorist nations. He negotiated the safe return of U.S. hostages from North Korea and also Iran without raising his voice one time. How did he do it? Don't miss Bill Richardson next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.